Tonight's Bible reading is from Colossians, chapter 2, verse 20, to verse 3, verse 4. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your, your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. family to come to know Christ and really learn the truth about God. I also pray that God will continue to grow his faith in me. Well, I suppose ongoing prayers will probably be uh, for the pastoral team. Yeah, we, got, we see lots of things that come across the table and just knowing which things we should focus on, which things we can actually delegate away so that we make good productive time of, of the time that we do meet. That our family will yeah, either continue to grow in Christ or also for, for those that don't, don't know Christ, hearts to soften and for them to yeah, come to know yeah, who he is and what he's done for them. Family and for my work as well and God will bless whatever I do and so that all glory can go back to him. The, the Boys Brigade, that the, the ministry will be effective in, in leading boys to Christ. Um, yeah, we'll be able to get more, more men uh, in the church involved in the Boys Brigade. It'll be a, a strong ministry that will, will supply the church with leaders and, and lead a healthy church that's well governed. Yeah. For all the people I ride with, I suppose, like since I ride Freestyle BMX, it's really hard for anyone in there to actually make like a connection with God or anything. So I'm always asking that he would give me wisdom so I can use it to help these people more because they need it just as much as anyone else, but they're half as likely to hear it kind of thing, so. Yeah. The continual growth yeah. of Kids Church. Kids Club definitely later on this year. Yeah. Seeing more people come into God's kingdom and, and seeing as a part of that, it would be awesome to see Sunnybank grow and flourish and, and have an opportunity uh, to really just spread God's word and, and to see all of us uh, come into a deeper relationship with Him. That we might know our future direction in our community, uh, the way families seem to be struggling and the issues of government and that we might have a godly influence in what we do here. My children, I've just had an answer to prayer where four of my children all got together for the first time in eight years. So that was brilliant. Um, it would be for people to find release and freedom in their relationship with Christ, to find that intimacy and that friendship, that enjoyment, to be able to meet him face to face and walk away changed rather than just doing another Sunday service. Really engaging, engaging with God um, and allowing themselves to be changed by him. My long-term prayer for Sunnybank would be that if every baby that went through our came through our church or young person came through our church went on and became a powerful person for Christ that would be my ultimate goal for Sunnybank that we we could grow every young person into passionate followers of God. At the development of this church and where the next generation is going also the particular ministry that I'm involved in where it goes to in the next five to ten years. In the longer term I've been praying for us as a congregation that we'll just remain be faithful remain faithful in, in God's Word and 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 for the coming generations younger generation won't uh, lose sight of the gospel. Family who aren't Christians and who are going through a really tough time. A long-term prayer request for us has been employment for Ross and there were times then we just felt like nothing was going to happen but now 
praise God, he's in employment that he really loves and it really truly, truly has been an answer to prayer for us. My main prayer request is just that each and every one of my kids um, will have a really close relationship with God, be walking with God. Oh, that God would keep bringing people to Sunnybank and that the ones here that will be nourished and support each other and will continue to be grow be a passionate church and serve each other and serve our community and win more people to Christ. Hello everyone, my name is David. My boss's name is Daryl. He's wearing a western shirt, ready for kids club. I just want a warm welcome to everybody. It's really good to have you here. And if you're a regular here, it's wonderful having you. We've been going through a series on prayer and we come tonight to the topic disciplined prayer. And if you're a visitor with us, a very warm welcome. We trust that you'll have a blessed time and we'd love the opportunity over our, the, I was gonna say afternoon tea, but what is it, supper? that we might be able to just catch up with you and see how it is that we might be a blessing to you. Let's pray before we have a look at this topic. Lord God, as we come now to discuss the topic of prayer and for us to be disciplined in prayer or the discipline of prayer, we ask that you might teach us things so that our prayer lives, our relationship with you, our communion with you, might be deeper and stronger and something which becomes a very foundation of all that we do. Father, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What's the problem with our prayer life? As we've been going through this whole um, series on a number of things, we've been talking about the various attitudes that we are to have in prayer. And as we come now to look at being disciplined in prayer, what I want to start off by doing is look at what are some of the, the basic issues that are there which are a reason for us to have discipline and the discipline of prayer as a part of the way in which we approach prayer. And I just came up with four, I think, basic um, issues that I think I struggle with, we struggle with, are struggles within the church with our prayer life. The first of them, I think, the first problem is that we have a problem with superficiality. We live in, in a world that wants instant gratification. Um, we, we want the answers now. We want to be able to pray and either get results or get close with God. We, we want these things to happen now. We, we've grown up in that sort of environment. I remember my first computer. Before the 80s, it was an XT I, well, I do actually remember punching holes in cards and putting them into slots and waiting a week for it to get back. And I thought that was pretty cool. But my first one, it didn't have a hard drive. It had a big disc that you put in and it had everything on that one disc. And if I could get my stuff up and running within five minutes, I thought this was the fastest thing in the world. Now, if I don't have instant access like that, it's too slow and I need an upgrade, which I need, honey. I need an upgrade. My apple's five years old. It's too slow. I need an upgrade. We, we, we live in that sort of world, and we enter that in with our prayers. And so we've, we've done eight weeks now on changing attitudes towards prayer, and some of you have been trying to do some of those things, and it just hasn't worked. And you think, what's the point? I've been a Christian for a while, and I've been trying all this stuff, and you talk about being purposeful and accepting God's response and being intimate. It hasn't happened. We struggle with that. I think the issue is that we don't, in prayer in particular, but any of the, the disciplines of the Christian life, we don't need smart, we don't need gifted. What we need is depth. The psalmist in Psalm 42, as he's writing, he said, As the deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And later on down in verse 7, he says, Deep calls to deep in the roar of the waterfall. He's got this idea that... God, the depth of God is so great, it needs to come from my depth. And superficiality doesn't work. 
And so we need something that's going to help us to get down into the very depth of who we are so that we commune with God. And God is deep and superficial, just doesn't work, but we seem to expect that in prayer. And so one of the reasons we talk about the discipline is prayer is to help us to see how it is that we can go into the depth. I'm not talking about whether we're a beginner or an expert. But beginners have to understand that the surface, the external, isn't what it is. Prayer is this communication with God. It's our heart with his heart. It's our soul with him. It's listening to God. And therefore, we need to learn that. It's, It's a process to be going down deep to experience God and for us communicating with him. We need some discipline. Second problem, I think, is is our materialism. We live in a materialistic world. There's a song about that, I think. Spirituality is something that's other than us. We don't cope well with this idea of communing with the spiritual. We just... We think it's out there. We understand the here and now. We understand science. We can work that out. If we don't get it to work, we try and work out the scientific way, the materialistic way of how it works. And then we come to this thing as Christians that's called prayer or or communing with the Spirit or any of the things, words that you want to phrase, and it's us being in touch with the other in one sense. And that freaks us out because we just don't know how to do it. We just can't understand how we can actually communicate with that which is spiritual. We, we think of things like praying for someone who's lonely. And we look at all the different reasons for their loneliness and we psychologically try and work out how it is that their loneliness might be fixed. We bring people into communication with them so that they're not alone. But then to try and put it into the spiritual realm, which is God making them and helping them be content, them relating with God and him dealing with their heart issues, we struggle to see sometimes how that's going to happen outside of some materialistic psychological explanation that we can work through. Third problem is we're ignorant, basically. If you like, we don't have, because of this distance from the spiritual life, the skill set often to pray. I, uh, an example rather than prayer might be farming. I try gardening every now and then, but farming, you know, actually ploughing and taking and pulling weeds, I, it's separate from me. If you asked me to farm for a while, I wouldn't have a clue what to do. How to shoe a horse. Well, I'm ignorant of that. It's just not a part of our everyday experience. The people in the first century, I think, in, in the writings of the scriptures, they were much closer in many ways into this practice of prayer. Things like fasting. They knew that the scriptures don't tell you how to do it. In some ways, there was a knowledge that was existing within the culture. And we've just, we've become removed from that. Let's just look at fasting, for example. It doesn't tell us how to fast. And how many of us know how to fast? The scriptures call us to it. Whereas I think, in many ways, the people who were being written to in the first century, they knew what to eat before a fast. They knew how to deal with dizziness during a fast. They knew what sort of foods to cope with when they broke a fast so that all of that was straightforward. And we just, we just don't know. So it says pray. And we go, I hope Daryl knows or David knows or someone knows how to do it because all I've got is the people around me and we're, we're reasonably ignorant. So if you like... We have to learn how to pray. And learning is a, is a discipline thing. I'm not the sort of person who's going to run a marathon. But every now and then I get it in my brain, next marathon I'm going to do. So I start running. After about 500 metres, maybe not that far, my feet start to hurt, my legs start to get weary, and I, thought, I just can't marathon. But now I've got this app on my phone. If I wanted to do it, it can tell me over a period of 16 weeks how to be disciplined so that I can grow up to marathon. What we have to do is we have to change our thinking. We have to understand that if we actually want to get deep into God, if we actually want to commune with God, if we want to learn, if you like, some of those skills of prayer, 
then we need to be disciplined. We just can't jump straight into it. And the last problem, I think in some ways the biggest of the problems, is that often we misunderstand sin and righteousness. We often think of sin as individual acts that we can resist by our will. Learn not to be grumpy. What's grumpiness? Grumpy is where you talk back to someone in that tone of voice or that facial structure or those body motions where you're rude towards them and, in fact, you're negative towards them. How do you stop being grumpy? Well, there are some practical things you can do. Keep a smile on your face and by force of your will, make sure that the nice sweetness comes out of your mouth. And we think that's what, how we attack sin. Something that we resist by our will, by this external action. And that imposes a righteousness upon us. We forget that sin is also our very ingrained habits. Romans 7 says, For when we are in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at walk in us, so that we bore fruit for death. Sin is something that flows very much out of us. If you like, the scriptures teach that they, they were when we were away from God, the very structure of our lives. Isaiah says, But the wicked are like the tossing sea, which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. The very way in which we live tosses up sin. So imposing some sort of external frontal attack by our will doesn't solve the problem and doesn't impose righteousness. And we come to prayer the same way and we say we're not good prayers. So let's put this external thing out there. Let's put in, in place some processes and let's do it. And then we'll become great prayers. We, we attack this frontal launch, if you like. We attack with our will. But will isn't the solution. The solution is this word, discipline. And down throughout history, people have talked about spiritual disciplines. I just want to go into now, what, what is discipline? Some practical things. Firstly, discipline's not willpower. The passage that we had read from Colossians chapter 2, and verse 23, it says, when it's talked about don't handle, don't taste, don't touch, this is ways of dealing with sin, don't do that, do do this. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. They look like they work. With their self-imposed worship, the King James Bible translates that word will worship, the worship that I impose by my own will. I determine what is righteousness and I impose it on a situation. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. A guy called Heine Arnold, who writes on this area of prayer, says this, We cannot purify our own heart by exerting our will. He goes on to say, As long as we think we can save ourselves by our own willpower, we only make the evil in us stronger than ever. He talks about the fact that we impose this structure on the outside, whereas the inside, the sin that wells up, our habits that are inside us, our ingrained nature, our very actions keep tossing up dirt. So we've got this barrier and we impose it on the outside, this external structure of the way that we behave. And he says all that happens is that it builds up pressure. It gets worse. Jesus describes the Pharisees who, who imposed this righteousness on the outside and he said, you're whitewashed tombs. Looks good on the outside, but the inside hasn't been dealt with. That's where the issue is. So he says to the Pharisees in Matthew 12, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they've spoken. He kind of talks about this fact that the evil finally lets its way out with an empty word. Just one little bit that shows that the inside hasn't been dealt with. He said, that's what condemns. 
So inner righteousness, if we're going to deal with it, is not an act of the will. It's a gift that God gives to us that we need to graciously receive. Romans says, but the gift is not like the trespass. This is in verse 15 of chapter 5. And then down 17, he says, death reigned through that one man. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus? In other words, he says, you can't impose righteousness. You can't deal with sin by an imposition of your will. We're going to talk about that in terms of the prayer discipline. We can't impose a system of prayer, a type of words that we use, a habit that we put in place, and we say, if we do this stuff, we will actually be standing righteous before God and praying properly. Because prayer is this relationship with God, and the relationship with God begins, if you like, in our hearts as the Spirit comes and dwells within us. We commune with God here. It's a gift of God. The fact that we can actually have a relationship with him is nothing we can act out and work towards. We need to graciously receive it. So it's not will. That's what we're talking about with discipline. But it sometimes seems that if imposition of the will leads, if you like, to moral bankruptcy, a, a false righteousness, and God actually gives us his grace to make us right with him, that what we need to do is to stand back and just accept. If you like, idleness, freedom. That's the opposite road to being morally bankrupt as well. Righteousness is a gift of God, but we often think it's logical to just wait for God to do it, but that's not true. One writer puts it this way. There's a way of, of life that we're supposed to live. It's like the ridge on a mountain. There's a cliff on either side. On one side of the cliff is you saying, I can strive and be righteous. On the other side of the cliff is there is no law, I'm free. Either way, you move off the pathway. Instead, what you need to do is to purposefully take those steps down that pathway, but never letting the steps be the pathway. They're only a way of walking along with what God has given you. He would say that's a pathway of grace. So Galatians says, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. We must sow to please the spirit, and from the spirit comes eternal life. So what we're talking about in disciplines of prayer is things that, steps that we take, things that we put into action, which are ways of accepting the gracious gift that God gives to us of being able to communicate with him. Sometimes we hear it said, if you don't feel like praying, pray anyways. Well, praying anyways, if you haven't got this heart, this desire to walk with God, is moving into this external law that you've got. But on the same token, saying only pray when you feel like it is back on this other side of the, the pathway. Instead, what we need to do is say, we're going to exercise prayer. We're going to be disciplined in our prayer life. And as we do, not so that we achieve the right thing with God, but because in us walking with God, he meets with us and gives us the free gift of communication with him. He is gracious to us as we walk with him. So we are still, when we're not sure that we want to pray, because we want to know God and because God lives within us, we then pray. And as we pray, we experience joy and blessing as we walk with him. That's what a disciplined life is still going through those steps that he calls us to, but the steps in and of themselves aren't the prayer, if you like. The steps in and of themselves are a way in which we receive and we communicate with God who loves us. So one writer said, the grace of God is unearned and unearnable. But if we ever expect to grow in grace we must pay the price of a consciously chosen course of action. 
which involves both individual and group life. If we want to pray, we must consciously choose to take an action to accept and to relate to God as he lives within us and as he saved us. That's what prayer is. So just in conclusion about discipline. Discipline is not setting forth a law, saying if you do this, 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 and this, you can learn how to pray properly. No. When we do that, we move into the way of the Pharisees, and that's the way of death, if you like. The Pharisees had this external righteousness as they sought to control where they prayed, when they prayed, with whom they prayed, the words that they said. They sought to control that to, to demonstrate to the world that they had external control. We're, we're called upon for this internal work of God within our hearts. That's what we're after. If we make it a law, you must do this, it just imprisons us. I don't know about you, but when I've heard all these people who tell me you have to pray like this, impose it upon your life. That's a prison. That's what the Pharisees did. They, they had this burden that they put upon people. Jesus says about the Pharisees, I'm going to skip a bit there, that they, they tied up heavy burdens and put them on people's shoulders. You see, when you, when you impose a law and you put that in place, you, you fall into either the trap of pride, I have achieved praying an hour every day. I've kept that law and pride builds up within us because we've imposed it from the outside. Or the other side of it is fear. I'm afraid I'm going to fail. I might lose control. So law leads to death. It leads to pride and to fear, and we don't want that. So instead, Corinthians says, the confidence we have before God is this, not that we're competent and ourselves to claim anything, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So what we're talking about is, I'm going to go into more practical ways of a disciplined life now. I'm not going to say take it or leave it. But I'm going to suggest to you that if something doesn't work for you for the moment, don't impose it from the outside. Work through ways that you can communicate with God inside. You see, it's going to be a learning process. How do you learn to pray? Well, slowly. We'll get to some of these things in a moment. But we need to discipline ourselves to take conscious thought process steps along the pathway of becoming better prayers. Not to expect an instant jump, not to just impose a set of externals, but to relate with God in our hearts. He's promised to communicate with us and to learn what that means by doing some basic things that maybe we're a little bit ignorant of. So, just one more introductory thing. Some dangers. We've talked about the first one. We have the danger of making whatever I say here as a law. We become rigid on these things. You've all heard it. You must start with a prayer to the Father. And then you have to do the adoration. You have to have this. If you don't say that, and if you don't have in Jesus' name at the end, it don't work. And we become rigid in these things. Rigidity isn't disciplined. Discipline is, is that perception of life that we want to develop in our prayer life. Not a regulation for controlling our life. But it's a perception. It is not the rigid way of running a marathon is making sure that the app that I've got on my phone, I keep it. If I don't keep it, I've failed and I start again. A disciplined life is to work through. These are the processes I'm doing. And if I don't make it today, I'll make it tomorrow and I'll work through. Because my aim is not to meet the app, but my aim is to learn to run. I don't do these things so that I pray but I do these things so that I have a relationship with God. 
That's what we need to have in our discipline of life. The second danger. There's a danger sometimes of divorcing prayer, the discipline of prayer, from what's real. Fairly similar to the first one, but it becomes this pious action that we do. We're not called upon for this righteous, pious action, but we're asked to be obedient to God who dwells within us. So I don't know about you, but over the last eight weeks, there's been this comment, you need to pray. And if you've sat down and struggled with it and forced yourself to do it and said, yep, I've prayed, I'm good, it becomes a pious action. It just becomes something that if you do, you can tick the box and you can walk away from it and say, yes, we've succeeded. When we fill in our little questionnaire at the end of the year and where we used to tick no, we now tick yes, we say, I've arrived. But that's not what we're after. We want to be able to, at the end of the year, say, I walk closer with God now than I did then. My relationship with God is deeper now than it was then. I'm talking with God when I used to not talk with God. We want to funnel it down into what's real. Thirdly, there's a danger that we will turn prayer into a virtue. Prayer brings us before God. It doesn't win points with God. By praying, you don't achieve righteousness. All that prayer does is let you commune with God, have a conversation. Fourthly, these are... They overlap a fair bit, but the danger can be that we center on prayer rather than centering on Christ. That relationship with God is the end point, not having a good prayer life as the end point. The discipline is not there so that we can say we are good prayers, but to say, I know Christ. There's a danger when we talk about the discipline that we make prayer the pathway to get to know God instead of just another aspect of relating with the Spirit. We meditate on the Word of God. We read the Scriptures. We worship God. We can fast. We exercise our spiritual gifts. All of these ways are communing with the Spirit of God who lives within us, of relating to the God who made the universe. Prayer, again, is, is not the end. It's not even the pathway. It is just one aspect of this relationship that we have with God. But that doesn't mean we should ignore it. And lastly, in terms of dangers, there's sometimes a danger, particularly as we talk in a minute about some of the things that can be disciplines for us, of doing prayer and not experiencing it. We do it on the superficial level. We don't get down and actually commune with God. We say the words. I don't know how many times. And I've been in error of doing this as well. You know, in a group prayer meeting and someone's speaking, so you quickly check your email. You ever been there? I was in a, a, a prayer meeting the other day, watching people reading notes while someone else was praying. And you're thinking, are you praying or what? But what was I doing? I was watching them doing that instead of praying. We, we do it. We close our eyes, we say the words, and we do an amen at the end. But we're not actually seeking in those moments to relate to God. There have been a number of prayers in this service so far. Have you, at that time, prayed or gone through the motions. When we talk about these disciplines, they're the times when the gift that God has given to us to be able to relate to him, to come into his very presence with, because of Christ who sits at his right side and gives us access into the very throne room of God. We need to take advantage of it at that time as in every other. All right, now we get to the main part of the message. Four. The centrality of discipline. If we look through the scriptures, we can have a look all the way through. 
we just have to look at the lifestyle of Jesus. Jesus got up early in the morning while it was still dark and left the house and went off to pray. We, we read throughout the New Testament of, of how Jesus went and prayed. It was one of the things that was an everyday part of his life. And that for us should encourage us, this is something we need to learn. The apostles did it. Acts chapter 6, they said, when they set aside the deacons, we will turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. The psalmist said in the Old Testament, in the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my requests before you and I wait expectantly. And down throughout the history of the church, there's so many examples of these people who have kept prayer as the very discipline of their life. And as you think of these great people who have ministered for God's work, if you look back and have a look at their life, you can see their life was centered around in many ways, being disciplined in their prayer life. For people like Martin Luther, he said this, I have so much business I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. John Wesley spent two hours every day in prayer. Adoniram Judson Seven times every day, 6 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 9 o'clock and midnight, he would go away from his everyday work and pray. Now often when people talk about examples like that, instead of encouraging us, <laughs> they discourage us. I know about you, I think, that's not me. Because we fall short. Our experience and our practice fall short of all of that. I suppose that's why discipline is this idea of learning. We have to understand that when we come to a discipline to learn something, we make mistakes. It's a growing process. If you're struggling with prayer and you're, you're finding just that communion with God is a struggle for two minutes and then your mind wanders, be content. But set yourself on the pathway to learn to pray. How do you do that? The same as when you learn anything, you make mistakes. You go and talk to people who are good prayers and say, what do you do? You go to people who seem to have their prayers answered and say, what is it? You read books on prayer. You do all that sort of stuff, but you practice. I'm not great at languages. French. I don't speak that much French. Our whole family went to France. I probably told you this. Sylvia did French a course at university. Joshua got his O-levels, Cambridge University, in French. I failed six months of French back in grade eight. Who had to talk to people as we're wandering through France? They didn't want to practice their French because their French wasn't good enough. I didn't care. Everyone just laughed at me. But I started to do the communication. I'd go up to this guy and say, do you speak any English? He goes, no. So I'd go at it in French, and he'd wait a bit and say, I speak a little English. <laughs> but at least I was speaking French. I was learning. That's what it's like with prayer. Get down and dirty. Start to learn. So how do we do that? Firstly, get in contact with God. One of the disciplines is to get in contact with God. A guy called Soren Kierkegaard said this, A man prayed, and at first he thought that prayer was talking. But he became more and more quiet until the, in the end he realized that prayer is listening. Prayer is this communion with God. You're not going to learn to commune with God until you're stopped and actually in contact with God. So if you want to be disciplined in your prayer, you need to put those things away. We'll come to it a little bit later. And I'll jump ahead here because I think it splits in here. <laughs> uh, da -da -da -da. Henry Nguyen once said this, When you go to pray, thoughts jump around in our minds like monkeys jumping around on banana trees. So at the beginning of prayer, it's important to take a few minutes to allow the monkeys to settle down. Want to learn to pray? Chill. Our prayers of intercession, asking God 
four things must be built on hearing, knowing, and obeying the will of God. We first have to pray for guidance. We need to deal with our sin and we need to sit and listen to God. You're going to learn to pray. Don't just blabber the words out into a vacuum. Calm yourself. Understand who God is. And when you're quiet, then you can begin to have this communication. Second step in learning to pray, it's not very complicated really, my suggestion here is learn to start with the small things. I don't know about you, but often we, we, we determine whether we, our prayer is proper or not if our requests come true. Isn't that how we judge prayers sometimes? Well, my suggestion to you is before you pray about your friend who has terminal cancer, think about praying for your friend who has a runny nose. Start small. Start with those things which are everyday aspects of your life. You don't run the marathon straight away, go and lay hands on the terminally sick person, say, in the name of Jesus, get up and see them pop up. Some people do that. Fantastic. Most of the times that we begin to see God at work is the small things that we have opportunity to pray for. I've got a tummy ache. Say, Lord, please fix my tummy. People do those everyday things. Someone's in their classroom and you're a teacher and the kids are just distracted. Just toss a prayer out. Lord, please stop them being distracted. Normally we think we can do it by some great teaching technique, which does work sometimes. But the materialistic is not the only thing. We're in danger of not allowing God to work in our every day. God wants to be involved in this relationship of prayer with us on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment, in every single circumstance of life. So our discipline is to learn to invite him to work in the small things of life first. Begin there. Third thing, and I'm only going to go through a couple because the process is a lifetime one for you. Compassion is essential. Often we think that our prayers aren't answered because we don't have enough faith. And yet the scriptures teach us that if we have the prayer of a mustard seed, God hears and answers. Often I think the fact is that we pray for things, not for people. The prayers that we're tossing out aren't motivated by a compassion and love that we have for people. If you read the scriptures... The motivation that flows through the prayers of people as they pray is compassion. Their faith is not called into question. Because the scriptures teach that we have faith as mustard seed. But our compassionate heart often isn't there. So you want to learn to pray? Pray about those things that mean something to you. Somebody hops up here and says, pray for Kids Club. If you don't care about Kids Club... Don't pray for it. I might get in trouble here. If it's not a part of your passion, if you don't really want to talk to God about it, well, don't waste his time. But if it's on your heart, you really want to see these kids come to know God, you really want to see it work out, well, then, then in that attitude, that's the time to throw that prayer out. You've got a friend who's not feeling very well and you're worried and concerned about them, pray for them. If you've got a heart for missions, pray for that. Begin by praying for those things that you're compassionate about. You'll find as you continue to do that and you see that God answers those prayers that your compassion will grow and you'll, you'll grow in your compassion for others. Peter and John went up to the temple and there's this guy there and he says, I want some money. And they say, we don't have any money, but in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. You can tell from their lives that they just had this compassion flowing out for this guy. It wasn't a, I think it wasn't actually an aspect of their faith. It was an aspect of their love. The love of Christ is overflowing and it, it motivated what they were talking about. Fourthly, fourth step, just in learning, it's all I'm going to go through. Don't make prayer complicated. Open, honest, simple prayers. A couple of misconceptions before a few tips and then we're finished. First misconception, we think that prayer often is focused on asking things from God. Answers are wonderful things. 
and we can normally judge if we're praying well by that, but misconception, prayer is about communicating with God. Second thing, we often have this misconception that prayer is a struggle. Anyone think prayer is a struggle? It's a misconception. Friendship and companionship are on the whole not struggles. External law is a struggle. Thinking I have to, because that earns brownie points, that's a struggle because I have to confront that. Having a relationship with the God who saved me and just slowly building upon that, real prayer shouldn't be, isn't a struggle. Third misconception. Some people say, well, we really don't need to pray. God's in control of all things. Everything is fixed. We live in a closed universe. Our actions play no part. God is in control of all things. God's will does come about. We prayed about this the other day. But our choices are real. Our prayers are real. When we pray, things happen. That's what scripture teaches. So that's why if you start small about things that you can see happening around you, about things you care about, you will see God at work because you ask. Some tips as you learn to pray. Firstly, from John Piper, to be disciplined, have a time and a place. He says this, Unless I'm badly mistaken, one of the main reasons so many of God's children don't have a significant life as prayer is not so much that we don't want to, but that we don't plan to. If you want to take a four-week vacation, you don't just get up one summer morning and say, hey, let's go today. You won't have anything ready. You won't know where to go. Nothing's been planned. That's how many of us treat prayer. We get up day after day and realize that significant times of prayer should be a part of our life. But nothing's ever ready. We don't know where to go. Nothing's been planned. No time, no place, no procedure. And we all know that the opposite of planning is not a wonderful flow of deep, spontaneous experiences in prayer. The opposite of planning is the rut. If you don't plan a vacation, you probably stay home and watch TV. The natural, unplanned flow of spiritual life sinks to the lowest ebb. There is a race to be run and a fight to be fought. If you want renewal in your prayer life, you must plan to see it. Therefore, he says, my simple exhortation is this. Let us take time this very day to rethink our priorities and how prayer fits in. Make a resolve. Try some new venture with God. Set a time, set a place, choose a passage of scripture. Don't be tyrannized by the press of busy days. Make this a day of turning to prayer for the glory of God and the fullness of your joy. Second tip. That's the one I mentioned beforehand about the banana trees. I've just titled it, Calm the Farm. Let the mind push aside all those thoughts and get in communion with God. Take a few deep breaths. Allow your mind to calm down and slow. Third tip, just talk to God. Don't have to do the fancy words. Have a conversation. If you forget the Our Father... That's okay. If you, get, if you forget to say, if it is your will at the end, that's cool too. And if you don't confess your sin right at the beginning, you still can have a conversation. Just talk. If you're feeling grumpy, be grumpy. If you're feeling discouraged, let him know, just like you would with a good friend. Just talk. Just use your everyday words, not the spiritual words. You want to learn to pray? Just talk. Fourth suggestion, fourth tip in being disciplined, write it down. My prayer time often is reading written prayers. Focuses the mind, stops it wandering. Write down, this is what I want to say to God, like a letter, and read it out to him. Fifth tip. Keep it simple. You're starting on a journey. You're going to learn to run a marathon. You don't have to go out and buy the top class Nike boots to start with and the, whatever that spandex stuff is. In fact, it doesn't look good. Just keep it simple. Put a pair of jogging shoes on, a T-shirt and a pair of shorts. Go for a run. See how that works up. 
You can flash it up later on, standing in front of a group of people and you really want to. But keep it simple. That's how you learn to pray. Five, keep it sweet. If you're grumpy, say it nicely. You're talking to the Lord of the universe. If you're going to keep in that relationship, remember who he is. We've talked about that previously. Number six, if you're stuck, pray the scriptures. A way of being disciplined is to pray the scriptures. Open up in a passage and read what it says and then pray about that. Tells you to love your neighbor. Pray about it. Say, Lord, how do I love my neighbor? I don't even know who my neighbor is. I didn't know my neighbors. There's an old guy who lives over on that side. No, he died. There's, there's a young couple now on that side. No, there's a, a single mother. Lord, help me to know what I'm supposed to be praying about here. It says, love my neighbors. Who are my neighbors? Have the conversation, but pray the scriptures. Read what it says next and read what it says next and just talk to God about that. Next one. There's only two more you'll be thankful for. Set up triggers in your life. To be disciplined, one of the suggestions that people have is set up some triggers. I told you about the guy who prayed at 6 and 9 and 12 and 3 and 6 and 9 and 12. Think of some things that make you pray. Set an alarm on your watch. I'm going to have this communion with God every time my watch goes ding. Set it up to ding on your iPhone and one of those other ones with a different brand. Have some triggers. Every time you see your wife, I'll pray for her in my mind. I'll say, Lord, bless my wife. Pray for your parents. Pray for your boyfriend, girlfriend. Pray for your kids. Set up some triggers that when you see something or someone, your first thought is to commune with God about them. That's a discipline that you can have. And lastly, tied in with that, is you can just give short prayers. Just flash the prayers out if you like. They call them arrow prayers or whatever else. So that as you get into that sense where you this love overcomes you for someone or for a situation or for sickness or whatever else, just toss it out to God in the conversation. Doing all of these things help us to be disciplined. I suppose what I want you to do is, is, is to keep these things not from becoming laws in your life. Let's pray. Father, we've talked a lot about praying. Most of us struggle with it. Partly, I think, because we really just don't know you all that well. We know about you. We don't really listen to the spirit who dwells within. Father, I ask that you might help each of us this week to be purposeful, committed, disciplined, that in all that we do, as we go through life, we might want to participate with you in it. We thank you for the gift that you give to us, of your presence with us. And we ask that we might make use of that gift to get to know you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.